there is a lot to be said for increasing the purchasing power of people in Bangladesh, right? You could argue, well, actually, by increasing everything by $2 from every single product that comes out of Bangladesh, then those people have a greater purchasing power, which then opens them up to being a greater market for your business. The business case then could actually be that by increasing the purchasing power of, of underdeveloped or developing nations, however you want to put that, we actually then are creating a much more equitable society in which we can open up different markets yeah. uh, for our business. Well, g'day guys, and welcome back to the Kingdom Business Podcast. Um, you know, one of my selfish uh, reasons for doing this is I get to interview and hang out with cool people. And today we have a guest who I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time. Um, he kind of speaks into an area that small business don't really discuss at great length, but I think will in, in coming years because we're going to be forced to. Um, and he holds a very interesting view, um, being a radical believer, you know, understanding his topic and expertise, when you put them together, you know, it, it, it's, it's something really unique. Uh, and so today I'm talking to Stephen Morse, is uh, a good guy, loves Jesus, loves people, loves business, and comes at it with a slightly different worldview. I'm excited to have you here, Stephen. So why don't you tell our audience, who is Stephen Morse? Thanks, Wes. It's uh, great to be here and it's uh, finally good to be interviewed by you and uh, speak to uh, your great audience that I've met uh, many of uh, because of my connection uh, with uh, Kingdom Business Summit. And sorry, I can't make it next week, but it uh, just got too much on. But uh, apologies in advance. Uh, look, I run Unchained Solutions. We're based in Sydney. Don't hold that against me. Uh, we uh, work with I uh, usually work with bigger companies, actually, to help them to address issues around uh, supply chain risks uh, to do with forced labor, human trafficking, modern slavery. Uh, that's our bread and butter in terms of organization. And we have a range of a turnkey solution to help organizations meet targets around a reporting mechanism called the Modern Slavery Act, uh, which is a big piece of legislation, mainly target targeted at the big end of town but is finding its way into the small end of town and so that's uh what we also do is we have an sme toolkit and we we talk to smaller players uh who need to step up um not with the legislation directly but in order to tender for business and maintain their license to operate they need to step up in different ways more broadly, I'm also an ESG strategist. So uh, the modern slavery piece is kind of a, a part of the S uh, of a bigger compliance um, beast called uh, ESG reporting. That's environmental, social and human rights and government uh, compliance. Uh, and this is a massively unregulated <laughs> in sort of a reporting uh, framework. Uh, there is no overarching framework for this. Uh, so, but this is also impacting uh, smaller businesses as well, uh, not just the big end of town. So that's what we do. Uh, we we speak into areas where companies need to develop uh, responsible business practices uh, in order to do good in the world, uh, which is, the, I think there's a big biblical theological mandate for that, but also in order to uh, increase their business uh, into the future, starting today, what they can do to make sure that their business is ready uh, forthcoming. Awesome. Now, um, you would have lost a whole bunch of listeners um, because that was like uh, big and um, and they might be like, why? What, what's this got to do with, you know, my small business? And that's why I wanted to have you on. So take us back to the legislation. I think you called it the Modern Slavery Act. That's an Australian piece of legislation, right? So 
Um, why did that even come about? Like, t take us back to the genesis of this whole thing. Yeah, I'll take you back to the 1960s and we'll walk through this, shall we? Uh, <laughs> we'll do what we can. All right, so uh, we have in the world today and a long, for a long time, we've had uh, a big conversation at the UN level around sustainability. Uh, it started back, you know, with the Millennial uh, Development Goals starting in 2000, uh, and there was a smaller pool of uh, targets that the UN and governments were wanting to um, reach around ending things like global poverty, providing, you know, universal primary school education for everybody, making sure that everyone had enough food uh, that they could afford to eat in the world. Lots of really good solid uh, targets, which the world was achieving until um, until more recently recent years. That all morphed into a mass, a bigger piece called the UN Sustainable Development Goals, of which there are 17 of these with about, I don't know, like 96 or seven targets. So it's, like, it's a massive piece. And you could say like this is all sort of soft law, right? So this is kind of like targets that governments at the UN level are wanting to um, invest in, uh, both at a government and business level, but they don't they're not bearing, there's no kind of like obligation to meet those targets and the, and the targets that are in place are for 2030. This is all in recent years being translated at the local level, say in Australia, into hard laws. Okay, so hard laws around environmental, the environment, around waste management, around uh, good governance, around cybersecurity, how directors behave on boards, uh, all those kind of things, and around how companies are doing business in terms of relating to their suppliers and what impact that's actually having uh, on the supply chain globally. So that's kind of where we're coming from. And uh, what the, how this relates to the smaller guys, um, the smaller players is, particularly for those who are B2B, um, if you're a B2B business, then it's likely that you're gonna be tapped on the shoulder at some point and asked to tick some boxes okay, on a, on a vendor agreement that says that you are doing something around the environment, around your waste management, around your energy use, around uh, the risk of forced labor and the goods that you are providing to this company, around what kind of structures and policies you have in place uh, to make sure that there are good checks and balances, that you've got your legal, your financial risks are all being considered. So this is all part of this ESG reporting um, mechanism. Should I pause there so you can ask a question? No, I, I guess I wanted to. I want people to see that that you know the, the journey. I mean, like like I mean, for me personally, because this was birthed by the UN, I'm immediately skeptical, right? Because I don't trust. I think they're an ineffective debating society at best, right? So then it then it becomes you know in Australia is a good idea, and and now they're going to firm it up as law. So that's cool, right? It by the way, it's not going away. So that's why that's why we need to explore no, it. And right. and it started with you know the ASX listed two hundred biggest businesses in Australia, but it's gonna, but it's going to become compliance for Bob's Fish and Chip Shop in time, right? So that so we want to get ahead of the curve. You know, it's funny. I watched an interview. Um, I don't know how it just came through my feed a, a couple of months back, and it was. It was an interview just like this, um, and 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 the guest that was being interviewed asked the interviewer, "Well, how many slaves do you have?" And he said, "None. I don't. I don't. I don't have slaves." And he said, "Well, you you'd probably do." He said, "You know, what phone do you use?" And he said, "I use a I use an Apple iPhone." He said, "What do you use for a computer?" He said, "I use a Mac." He said, "Okay, 
what car do you drive? And then he said, okay, well, I'm up to about eight. You currently have about eight slaves that have worked for you just to get those three items. And you could see the blood drain out of this guy's face. He's like, I hadn't thought of it like that, you know. And But I do, at the same time, I think we all know, right, that, you know, like, uh, I know Apple got in trouble for running sweatshops. It's probably not as bad as it was in the 90s, but it still wouldn't be ideal. You know, we've, we've all seen the footage. I'm not sure how real it is of, you know, the new Blood Diamond is, is digging out stuff for EV batteries and stuff like that overseas and stuff. And so I think we kind of know, but because we can't trust, you know, anything really anymore, it's like, you know, it's easy to bury our head in the sand. So... You know, I, you know, the whole premise of the gospel is to lay down our lives and prefer others over ourselves. So if anybody leads the charge in this area, it should be us, right? Um, and uh, yeah, and so, you know, I say that to say, like, it, you can't escape this conversation, really. You know, if, if you, you know, there would be somewhere in your supply chain that you and I and everybody listening would be benefiting um, at somebody else's expense. Now, here's the business side of my brain that goes, yeah, but but if I take that away from those people, do they go from earning three bucks a day to they can't have any money? So it's like, I don't know that just ending all of this is actually the smartest answer either, right? Because uh, as horrible as it is, it's better than it was. And is the trajectory we're on going to get us out of trouble anyway? Or does it need big change? And that's why I really wanted to have that conversation with you around those things, because you'd be so much closer to this. Um, so what's happening in supply chain world these days? Like if I was like, how is it now versus 10, 20 years ago? And, and what sort of path are we on? Well, I think we're on a path of increased disruption. So I think the world is, it's, we were getting better and then we and then I don't think we are much anymore. So for example, uh, you know, given that most of the products that we bring into Australia come from Southeast Asia or China, for example, and mainly China, uh, it's actually becoming increasingly difficult to then, if you were to go down the path of verifying risk, okay, so that's a big word. So how do I ensure that my the supply of my goods and services is actually in good order it's actually becoming increasingly difficult to to step into a factory situation for example if you have the capacity to do so in china and actually get the information that you want so it is becoming increasingly difficult uh particularly in the Jingjiang province uh, where there are strong allegations and accusations of forced labor with uh, Uyghur people groups uh, to the extent that the united states has put in um has banned the importation of products uh, from that region. The problem with all this is that uh, it's very difficult to know what product has been made in that region or not, uh, because a, a product might start its life cycle of manufacturing in that province and then being shipped off to another province for further processing and then shipped off to another factory somewhere else for packaging and shipped off to another port, for example. So it's very difficult. Uh, as you know, the rise of tra transparency in supply chains increases, there's also the rise of censorship and control over who actually can, who can get in, who can have access, who can actually check what's going on. So that's, that's one dynamic um, on the piece. I think what's going on in Ukraine, for example, is also another dynamic. So this conflict, um, unnecessary conflict that's going on in Ukraine has actually disrupted uh, 
uh, a lot of food, uh, the shipment of food, because Ukraine is a breadbasket for many nations, including a lot of African countries. Uh, so these kind of conflicts then uh, do create disruption. Uh, we've already, we're, we're still living out the disruption of COVID-19 uh, in terms of the ability for uh, goods and services to be transported easily. So we're seeing, I think, disruption upon disruption, uh, and it's difficult then to navigate your way through this. Um, and it's difficult to see where it's all heading. Oh, hey, I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Listen, I'm just here training a group here in this room, but I need you to subscribe to my channel. Guys, do you think they should subscribe to the channel? Guys, please subscribe. I think NFTs will play a part here. You know, they're obviously a big area that is way beyond. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an innovator, right? I just read a landscape and change according to what, so that I can win. So when I look at NFTs and I think about the the utility of them, um, being able to track products from source, I think is an area that NFTs will be able to play in. So, so you know, for example, um, you know, you you go to a David Jones, you find a, a Ralph Lauren shirt, there's a tag on it, you take a photo and you can see the supplier chain all the way back to the person that, you know, whatever, picked the cotton or, or, all the way back. And um, do, do, what do you think's coming that's going to give us the tools to start making decisions? Sure. Well, I think there are. So the NFT space, so there is there is increasing amount of data that that is available. So, uh, and that's um, both a positive and that's also a concern. So, with the rise of, of big data, um, blockchain, uh, and, and the ability to trace uh, much more accurately, then that's also brings with it uh, the risk of, well, who's controlling this information? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, the big, that's the, big, the big piece there. There are still limits in terms of what can be achieved uh, through data um, in this space, particularly uh, probably less so in the environmental space, but more so in the social space. So when it comes to actually understanding and working out where a product is being made, um, data can only tell us so much. It can be quite general. And so there is still a need for a like a stakeholder-based approach of actually working through methodically through the supply chain, working with suppliers, developing collaboration and partnership. And I think that that process is actually positive um, because I think in the world we live, we need to be increasing, uh, uh, increase, yeah, increasing goodwill between between players in the space. And so, if in the process of actually collaborating, finding ways to incentivize suppliers, um, seeing suppliers as partners in your in the success of your business, that can only, in a sense, build resilience and build a much more sustainable supply chain and work out where you might need to diversify rather than being reliant on, on sourcing from one part of the world, for example. So there are pro, I think there are, there are pros and cons in the space and I think there's, there's scope in this space for innovation and creativity. Mm. Um, I'm interested in some other tools, right? So if I think about clothing, I think about um, Baptist World Aid who put out a report every year uh, and one of the guests I had on this show a few weeks back was James Barthel who runs Outland Denim, which is... Um, by all accounts, probably a leader in this supply chain conversation, right? So he's gone out of his way to make sure and check every box. And, and so much so that he refused to participate in the Baptist World Aid clothing ranking because he said it's all fake anyway. Like it, they don't consider, they don't. there's so much of the story they don't consider that you may as well throw the whole thing out. So they basically abstain from being part of it. 
But um, but it was cool for somebody to go and do all this research and to go, okay, well, you know, R and Williams are a B or whatever. I'm not sure they are, but just as an example. But you know, Cotton On is a D, right? Um, and they're failing big time. It's like, well, that's really good information because at a consumer level, I can just decide to, you know, spend my money elsewhere. You know, and um, yeah, what what other tools are there out there that that we as people can can access? I guess some intel into how to do it better. Well, I think that's what I, one of the weaknesses of their report is that it's not it's not available in your hand necessarily, like as in an app. So there are apps like Good on You, for example, is an app application which um, does more than Baptist Water in the sense it does sort of look at environmental concerns as well. So you can get ratings uh, from a bigger pool uh, of. Of, of brands for example not just those that are in australia so the more that information and technology can be put in people's hands um in the moment of the point of sale in the moment when i've got my kids with me and i'm trying to make a decision on whether or not i should buy this t-shirt or not then you've got um those tools available to you um uh, ready to go rather and that's kind of what i think we need to be heading towards is like we need to the sustainability world needs to catch up with how people operate um, how they do life um, and there is a need for people to actually consider and be much more intentional in terms of how their purchasing powers and I think there's a lot that can be done therefore at the small business level around ethical sourcing and actually being having a strategy around how you're sourcing um, your products and services and what what's the criteria that you're applying to that um, and then trying to make yourself make, yeah, be, make um, available those tools that are out there like Baptist World Aid but also there's good on you as well that can actually help you. Cool, we can all go and check that out. We might link that up um, just as an app that people can go check out. All right, let's move on to ESG. Um, and uh, this was the real reason I wanted to have you on the show because I have a feeling that you and I will differ on this and that's good. Um, I, I wanna hear your point of view. Uh, to me, ESG is a scam that was started by Al Gore when he blackmailed us 20 years ago with his TV show, I think it was called The Inconvenient Truth or something, right? So uh, to me, it's just a scam that, like, if you follow the money, you'll meet everybody that's making billions of dollars off this off this scam of, of, of whatever. Now, that's only half of my opinion. The other part is, of course, as kingdom entrepreneurs, you know, so before ESG came along, you know, we would talk about the triple bottom line, right? That my business has to be good for people, planet and profit, right? So that that was kind of always there as a standard. Um, and, and then ESG has become the buzzword. And, you know, I've got massive concerns about it. One, because I'm not even 100% convinced in man-made climate change, personally. Um, I can't yet find a credible person talking about it that's not making billions of dollars off their report. Um, you know, I, I also know that um, it's incredibly commercial now to do, to have an ESG report, right? Because you can't do large venture capital anymore without showing your ESG report. So basically the way that these people have created change is they've gone to the very top and restricted all capital into businesses that don't comply. And then obviously that has all the trickle down effect, right? Which is super smart if you want to create change. Then dovetail in there, the World Economic Forum, they're not doing any favours for themselves, right, every time they open their mouth. Then go one step further and go, okay, the leader in ESG today, the leader, world leader, is now the UAE, right? It's like, hang on a minute. 
how could you be the leader? You were, you were the worst, right, if you fully believe in climate change. Like, they were the country that produced the product that did most of the damage, right? So it's like, so it looks like a whole bunch of lies and pontificating, right, on the surface for me. And, and then I go to, right, coal mines are bad. Well, are they? Are they really, you know? And, and do we need to stop them overnight? Because, you know, I mean, from my research, there are 300 million Indians who are gonna die from freezing because most of our clean coal goes there. So, so cool, we stop that, Australia's all happy, and then what, what do we, do we just not care about these people in India, right? Like, help me, help me get some sort of sense out of all of that, because you're a smart man who loves the Lord, so, so you must be able to bring a framework to this conversation that's different to what I'm seeing, because I, of course I want people to win, right? But I don't see the point in quotas, like, why do we have to have 51% of women on a board? Why, you know, like, I'm not saying we shouldn't have it. I'm saying, why do we have to have, like, that gets me more capital? doesn't make sense, because all we're going to do is employ more women, get the capital, burn them. Like, I just, I don't understand. So help me out, Stephen. <laughs> sure. Okay, well, I think there's, a, obviously, there's a few ways of looking at this. So uh, I would agree. Uh, I would agree with, I actually would agree with a lot of you saying, I think that, that ESGs can be a bit of a buzz. All right. Um, and it's very easy uh, to not be cynical in this space. Um, you know, there's a lot of companies that, uh, you know, the, the director of ESG is basically a communications major. Um, okay. So they're bringing, similar to CSR, they're bringing in people who have got a comms degree to dress up, um, what the company's doing and make it sound really good okay so i i would agree with you there is there's a lot of um buzz around this and i think when it comes to particularly around the targets and and the big brother and all this is the environmental space so it it can be very confusing um what to believe um around these targets and what we're trying to achieve um and and also what's you know, what should we be doing um, with coal, for example, um, in terms of actually reducing our, you know, zero emissions and, and transitioning to a more renewable um, and sustainable energy source. So all those things for me, um, for me, the targets are important uh, in the sense that, you know, we do, I, do, I, I, I suppose I would um, beg to differ. I do think we're actually having an impact on, on, the, on the environment, but I would also say that the world itself is kind of throwing up as well at us, if, if, if you know what I mean, in terms of, you know, there are things we, there are certainly things we can't control. And I think if, as we look at this space, there are lots of dynamics that we can't control and increasingly so. So then it really comes down to really as a small business, what it is that, that you as a small business owner need to do in light of your faith convictions and what is it what does it mean i suppose on the one hand to be a, a steward of god's creation which is our original calling okay from genesis um and then what in from, from a from a new testament post sort of in christ perspective what what are we being called to do to contribute to the common good uh, and that comes down to the, the the triple line okay so uh in the environment i mean that we're in therefore as a business you don't uh, it's more about actually your your business survival is whether or not it's true or not, I suppose, uh, and where you sit on all these understandings is kind of irrelevant if you actually want to maintain your license to business, you know, to do business in the world. So wherever you sit on these issues, um, uh, for me, if for me and I sit more in the S space, so I want to make sure that actually 
uh, I'm doing what I can to uh, to take care of the creation uh, which God uh, has given us. So to be a good steward of that, as well as to make sure that when in my business and in my life that I'm um, conscious of the impact of my choices uh, and the decisions that I make around the products that, that I buy and what based on whatever capacity and leverage and influence I have to actually make good decisions and be a responsible business uh, in the world. Um, beyond that, I don't think, um, I don't know if it's useful to sort of, to, to kind of thrash, or I say rub against um, the direction in which we're heading in that sense. I think the, the smartest thing to do would be to actually work out how you can, in your faith and good conscience to actually contribute uh, to that in light of actually just regardless of what you might be skeptical of that actually we are here to actually work towards and from my view to to work towards the transformation of the world uh, which god will actually bring about uh and whatever i can do uh that will have an impact on that uh in terms of the planet and people and how i operate financially and legally is actually participating in that purpose so I agree that there's no point in bucking the trend because we're way too far down this for it to turn around, um, which is uh, a smart play if you look at you know the people that are pushing this agenda the strongest because they've done an amazing job of tipping culture in a very short amount of time. Um, and uh, I mean, like I mean, for example, there are still people now who are posting stuff on Facebook about COVID being a conspiracy. It's like, all right, well, even if you thought that, like. Like how long do you want? How long do you want to keep pushing back against that for? Because it's done, right? Like, you know, it's like uh, I know you're upset. We get it, you know. But uh, you know, things the Bible doesn't say. If my people will share stuff on Facebook, that is a conspiracy. I will come and heal their land, right? It doesn't say that, right? So it's like it's like I get it. It was traumatizing the COVID thing, but at some point you've got to go. You're not going to make any difference by sharing all the things you hate about it still. Um, and it's a little bit the same with, with ESG, right? I can hate it all I like, but, um, but I actually think in some respects it's going to be enslaving. And this is the, I guess, the hypocrisy of it. Like, you know, I think about products, right? So, um, and I said this to James Bartle. I said, mate, any, any T-shirt that came from overseas that's $10 in a retail shop, somebody has been stitched up doing that. Like, like you can't pay everybody fairly. Right, you know, to buy a T-shirt for ten dollars, you just can't. Like it's obvious, right, that you're prospering at the hands of somebody else because the retailer wants five of the ten bucks. Then you've got to drive it from here to the depot, put it on a ship for sixty-three days, get it to the ship, buy the raw materials, pay the labour, get the factory lot. Like it's impossible, right? There just can't be enough money in those things. So then I go to okay. So what happens if you play this out? Is the cost of everything is going to go up big time? It has to. We've got to factor a win for everybody in the supply chain. So now the cost of living, let's go to Australia, the cost of living explodes, and we end up with seven times as many people living on the street. So how, like, I guess I'm wondering, is there any conversation about, cool, this all sounds wonderful, but where does it end up? Here's where I think it ends up. I think it ends up with way more government control than we need and bringing in the likes of universal basic income and, you know, and those atrocities that we've tried many times in different forms over history that haven't worked. Have you got any thoughts on the future, like, like, like where this lands as a concept? 
Well, I think uh, just to sort of put it back on the other on the other side, um, is there any value in keeping people uh, earning um, uh, $3 an hour? I mean, what is the value of that long term? I mean, and why should it be that uh, out of the 7 billion people on the planet, only 1 billion people or maybe maximum of 2 billion people get to enjoy whatever they want and buy whatever they want, whilst the remaining 5 billion people just have to kind of serve them uh, indefinitely because uh, we can't be bothered lifting the price of a t-shirt from $10 to $20. And why do we need to keep on buying t-shirts? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that comes down to that, all right? So there's that kind of argument. There is a lot to be said um, for increasing the purchasing power of people in, in Bangladesh, right? Because that could then open up, you could you could argue, well, actually by, by paying, by increasing everything by $2 from every single product that comes out of Bangladesh, then those people have a greater purchasing power, which then open them up to being a greater market for your business. Yep. So there's actually a, the, the business case then could actually be that by increasing the purchasing power of, of underdeveloped or developing nations, however you want to put that, um, we actually then are creating a much more equitable society in which we can open up different markets yep. uh, for our business. So the rising tide lifts, lifts all ships, right? So, so as they, so if you take Japan, when I was a kid, everything had a sticker on it saying made in Japan, right? Made in Japan. Yeah. And then Taiwan. Yeah, and then Taiwan. But like, you think about Japan now, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big powerhouse, you know? They took themselves out of poverty acting this way, you know? And, and some other countries are well on their way to doing the same thing. I agree with you, and I had, I had a feeling you would say, well, do we need to keep buying stuff? So then, so then if the consumer behaviour is then, okay, well, actually, I'm going to make stuff last and, and I'm going to get a better, I'm going to invest in a better product and I won't go broke because um, I'm just going to buy less. Our economy will fall over, right? Because there's no taxes, right? So I guess that's, that's where I'm trying to follow this bouncing ball going, where does it land? Because now the government have got a very different problem on their hands. Right, you know, like GST revenue will fall off, like income tax will fall off, like anyway. Um, so these are kind of like the thoughts I have in my mind of like both sides of the equation because I want to. I'm uh, the environmental thing that's not important for me. The S one for sure, right? That is, uh, I'm way more concerned about people than I am animals, and I'm way more concerned about people than I am about the environment. Right? It's too early to tell whether we're doing any damage. And by the way, I feel like some of the changes that have been in place, we haven't yet found out whether they're actually sufficient. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, I mean, in terms of the the human rights due diligence piece across the board, it's, it's early days. Um, it's immature. The the intervention in this space is immature. And you know, on the environmental front, we're still working out. You yeah. know, that's a that's being thrashed out on many levels. So, but, it, but we but we have it's, actual it's a, data. It's a messy space. We have actual data though on people in poverty. Like that's like the environmental we do, exactly. one. That's crystal balling it, right? What does it all mean? But the but the people one, supply chain one. That's like that. You you can't deny it. There there are people that have the most atrocious conditions. Um, you exactly. know, and, and, and that's one that I think needs a whole bunch of attention. I think that that makes total sense that, that yeah. we would be there. Yeah. And it um, needs attention both at the grassroots, um, getting people out of uh, exploitation uh, and actually providing them a means to a, cr- a much more credible future. And that there's lots of challenges uh, with that. 
helping people to overcome the trauma of that experience and actually helping them to think of you know much more constructively about how they might actually uh, do life um, but there's also a lot of work that needs to be done at the at the the the, the, um, the big end of town those who actually control the flow of money um, and that's that sh moving that that ship is 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 a huge undertaking as well so um, I don't know where's where it's gonna gonna land um, uh, that's comes down to what we as as believers need to think about how do we actually live uh, before God in this world and the world that he's given us um, and what he's actually calling us to do. Mm. And, you know, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for, yeah, where does, where does all land? But I think we, if we actually attend to being responsible and how we do business, I can't see how that doesn't actually end up um, helping us move into a greater, greater, greater glory, greater expressions of God's blessing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And, um, and that's really the reason why I wanted to have you on because um, you bring a very balanced approach to my pretty much myopic opinion on the, on the topic, right? And uh, yeah, and, and, and because you're so much closer to it than me, right? I, I uh, you know, I, I just see, for example, the UAE running the biggest ESG conference. And by the way, they would have spent, they would have spent a hundred million on the lighting for this conference. It's like, huh. So, uh, like, I, you know, so that that's oh, where you look. I agree. I agree. That, that's where you could bring yeah, that. And, and well, yeah, and and Qatar having the World Cup last year was just you know an abomination in my sight. I mean, yeah. that should have been boycotted left, yeah. right, and center. So yeah. there's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of um, positioning. There's a lot of PR um, going on in this space. Um, and so, yeah, it does require a, a sound mind you know, um, self-discipline to actually work out, well, what, what has God, I, God, what is God asking me to do to contribute to the common good, to do justice as, uh, you know, the Old Testament prophets uh, proclaimed and as, as Jesus himself uh, uh, enacted and, and in terms of the future that we see God actually bringing about. Yeah, that's right. And he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you know, the least of these could be young children, but the least of these could be the wildly vulnerable people that we tend to not think a whole lot about, but we're going to have to in the future. You know, and I think about Cain and Abel. You know, he says, am I my brother's keeper? It's like, yeah, you, you were meant to be your brother's keeper. And, um, you know, and that's that's got to permeate everything we, we do today. So um, just in our final moments, I wouldn't mind you just kind of spitballing for a second, right? That, you know, there are people listening to this, their business might do, you know, half a million or one million or, you know, what they, they've just started out and they're climbing and this resonates with them because they're a believer and they don't want to take advantage of people. What would you say to them? Um, just conceptually, right? They might be on a treadmill now or they're driving or they've gone out for a walk or something or mowing the lawn and they're just listening in. Like, what would you say to somebody who's running a small business around this topic that they would just do well to think about at this level? Sure. I think they need to think about the business ecosystem that they're in, um, and they need to think about their clients or their buyers So, and what's important to those buyers. So uh, there is a massive, there is a consumer voice in all this. So if you are a B2C, um, to think through what your consumers um are wanting but if you are a, a more of a b2b to then actually think about what it is that your clients are looking for and and see in which way you can actually um 
be in alignment with that. So it's about working out what you need to align to and and how to prioritize. And uh, because there are, you know, the ESG beast is is pretty big. It's pretty messy and it's pretty big. So you need to. My encouragement to small business is to start small uh, and to integrate integrate changes um, gradually um, uh, and systematically and strategically, so that you are increasingly bis- forever business ready. So that when when the time comes and you're presented with a vendor agreement that says, "Can you tick this box?" You can tick that box and proceed. That's, yeah, and you know we can help you with that. Yeah, yeah. that's why the, your voice is needed in this space because you bring a lot of calm uh, to, uh, to to this topic. So, mate, I really appreciate uh, what you've run us through here. You know, um, like I said, you're far more closer to the coalface than me, and and you're seeing these changes that come a whole lot earlier than we're finding out about them. And so, uh, it's just important. And so, I appreciate you giving up this time. Thank you, Wes. It's been good. Um, it's always been good to, you know, it's always good to hear different different opinions and be throwing all sorts of different questions. So uh, happy to continue the conversation somehow um, and happy to continue the conversation with the listeners today. Cool. And, and you've got your URL up there, but we'll we'll meet it up too. So unchainedsolutions.com.au if you want to connect. You've got a QR code there. So people can connect with you, which is which is which is very millennial of you, Stephen, to have that QR code up on the screen. Oh, that that goes to Linktree, so you'll see everything. And every single way to connect with me is awesome. through that QR code. Well, guys, as you know, at the end of every episode, I say to you, okay, what was the thing that jumped out to you that Stephen said on this episode? I want you to think about that. Okay, what's the one line, the one thought, the one topic, the one thing that's not going to leave you alone? Do me a favor and put it in the comments uh, so that I can engage with you there. Stephen, you've been a real blessing to us and the audience. I wish you well over the coming months. Thank you, Wes. I hope it's a great conference uh, coming up and I wish I could be there, but I, I hope it's awesome and people get blessed. Cheers. 